0: For several weeks now, we've been considering things that, that Jesus said. What Jesus said. Well, you couldn't think about anything more important than that. When He speaks, the whole world ought to stop and listen. What Jesus said. This morning we're going to consider what Jesus said about our influence. Verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house." Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Last week we considered the Christian and uh, his attitudes. We call that section the Beatitudes. That's what our attitudes ought to be. And uh, now he turns our attention to the Christian and... uh, his influence, and let me tell you, the former has a great effect on the latter. Whenever we think about having an influence on those that we come in contact with, uh, our attitudes come into play. And here we see the Lord illustrating our influence by the use of two words, and that is salt and light. Just two very simple illustrations, but these metaphors are of great importance. And the uh, the greatest threat to Christianity is our failure to, to live it out. Now, remember, Jesus had just spoken about our character in the Beatitudes and our conflict. Notice there in verse 10, 11, and 12, as he speaks about the fact that although we demonstrate all of these Attitudes that, and have, you know, the right attitude about life in general and right attitude toward others and so forth. Yet, instead of being congratulated, we're going to be hated and despised by others. We're going to be persecuted. Now, the Lord, being the Lord and knowing the hearts of men, no doubt is reading their hearts at this very moment. He knows what they're thinking. They're thinking what most of us would be thinking. You mean, you know, if I do all of these things and I live right, I'm the right kind of person that rather than being congratulated and rewarded for it, they're going to hate me. They're going to persecute me. You know, even my family be put to death and and we let our imagination run wild. And so... Naturally, we, uh, we start thinking about a way of safety and we think about, well, you know, the thing to do, if that's the case, I will love the Lord from afar. I'll become a secret disciple. I will isolate myself from the world. I just won't let them know who I am and what I believe rather than to incur their wrath. So uh, no doubt there's that possibility that these men are thinking that because certainly a a lot of people uh, would be thinking that way. So the Lord is driving home a very important principle, and that is this, that our influence is needed Now remember, he's talking to common men here. As, as I said, I believe it was last week. These are not men, you know, that have got a high political position. They're not men that are highly educated and trained. What have, uh, basically these are? Uh, these are fishermen. Matthew was a tax collector. I mean, these are common, ordinary people, and yet he's telling them, "You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world." In other words, your influence is of great importance. You're to be in the world, but you're not to be of the world. And uh, whenever he uses those two metaphors, he does so for a very good reason because the world is in a state of moral corruption for one thing and spiritual darkness for another. So you have a state of decay and you have a state of darkness. And so he says to them, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of of the world. Sometimes we preachers often remind folks that you are the only Bible that some people will ever read. And we got to make sure they get the message clear. Amen. Think about that. The only Bible some people will ever read. They're watching you. Your influence will be a determining factor in their attitude toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, we could spend hours talking about that, but and we're going to look at both of these. But before we do, I want you to consider, consider them together rather than individually. You think about salt and you think about light. That calls for balance because, number one, we have to come into contact with the world. You think of the salt and you think about its effect on others. You've got to come in contact with it whereas the light is something that can shine from afar. So we're to come into contact with the world without being corrupted by the world. Uh, That would cause us to lose our influence in the world. But the problem is we tend to go either one extreme or to the other extreme. In other, in other words, we tend to either isolate ourselves from the world or we turn around and we integrate ourselves with the world. We become just like the world and you can't tell us apart. We lose our difference, our distinction. And after a while, the world can't tell us from the world in general. So consequently, we have no power, no ability, no means wherewith to draw other people to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we cannot isolate ourselves or we lose our effectiveness. But yet we can't integrate with the world. We can't become like the world. And let me tell you, the world's not getting any better as some people seem to think. Paul said it's getting worse and worse. So I want you to consider three things concerning our influence. First of all, our scriptural obligation our scriptural obligation. Uh, the world is decaying, and he tells us here that we are the salt. Uh, I, I remember several years ago reading a statement by a professor in northern Kentucky that had researched this, and he said there are over 14,000 separate and distinct uses for salt. That, that's amazing. 14,000 separate and distinct uses uses for salt. And whenever you look down through history, uh, you you find that salt was highly valued. In fact, it was used as money. It was the, you know, it was the the soldier's pay. We hear that old saying, he ain't worth his salt. That's kind of like saying, you know, he's not worth his paycheck. And they paid in salt. It was something that was absolutely essential. For one thing, salt preserves. We think about it and even today, you can buy you know a ham that's been salt cured a whole lot better than the sugar cured by the way. I remember when I was especially preaching in Kentucky and Tennessee so much, and during the revival meetings every morning boy i don't care I don 't care where you went, what home you might be eating in. You can mark it down there was going to be country ham on the table. Well, by the end of the week, I'd not only gained several pounds, but my face would be red, and I mean, I'd the meat sweats, and just uh, and my blood pressure was rising, and 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 you, and you could just tell it. But uh, but it was sure good. But more important than it making the meat good, savory, was the fact that it preserves the meat. Now, remember, back then they didn't have refrigeration like we do. And they, you know, they didn't have all of the preservatives that we put in food today. Maybe we should, shouldn't, but, but, you know, we do. Isn't it amazing? You go out in your pantry and you look at some food and it's good till <laughs> two or three years and you wonder how in the world can that be possible? Well, it's the preservatives that they put in it. Well, salt is a preservative. Now, that might not mean so much to you, but when he says you are the salt of the earth, you need to remember that what God does in this world and to this world and for this world is determined a great deal by His people that are in this world. Remember whenever the Lord told Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, But immediately he began to think about Lot. You know, his nephew was there and he began to plead with the Lord. He said, Lord, if I could find 50 righteous souls, would you spare the city? And the Lord said, yeah, you find 50 righteous souls, I'll spare the city. Well, the more Abraham thought about it, the more he realized that number is probably too high. And so he begins to reduce the number, and he keeps going down. To finally, I think maybe out of investment, he said, "Lord, if I could find you." Well, you know the story. They couldn't find ten, but the city would have been spared had there been ten righteous souls in the city. I don't know whether you believe it or not, or know it or not. I believe that that. that America's existence depends upon God's people. You can believe whatever you want. And I'm telling you, without them, I think we'd go down the tubes overnight. It is, listen, it's because of them. They're preserving power in the society that America is able to keep going. It preserves, but it doesn't just preserve. It seasons. It makes things better. Not only does it make it last longer, it makes things better. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to eat any eggs without salt. Uh, I don't want to eat anything hardly without salt. Uh, but... Uh, Uh, but it just makes things better. Can you imagine what our world would be like were it not for the Christian influence? I mean, you think about all of the good deeds that have been done. When you think about the schools that have been founded and the hospitals that have been started, when you think about the ministry of the churches and the impact that it's made upon society, I'm telling you what... This world is a better place because of the presence of God's people. They have a seasoning effect on people, but not only that salt creates thirst. I can remember whenever I was working for the highway department, and we not only had you know our big water can there that with us everywhere we went, but we had salt tablets. Now you're thinking to yourself, well, I thought salt made you thirsty. Well, it does, but your body has to have that salt. And when you're out there working and you're sweating a lot, uh, let me tell you, you're going to go down. It's just a matter of time if you don't replenish your supply of salt. You've got to have that. But at the same time, salt creates thirst. You know, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if we also lived our lives that that even the world doesn't understand what we have? Even if they don't believe what we believe, just in looking at us and observing our ways, that it would create something within them a thirst for what we've got. Good. Let me tell you, though, listen, there are a lot of people looking for what you got. They just don't know what it is. They don't know it's Jesus. Yeah, but they're looking for it. You have a peace that passeth all understanding, joy unspeakable and full of glory and love that passeth knowledge. And you have all of these characteristics in your life and they look at you and they wonder to themselves, what in the world is it that makes them so different? Why do they have such a deep settled peace and great joy? And and I'm telling you, just your example before them creates within them a desire to have what you've got. But there's another factor, and that is that salt irritates. You look back in verse number 11, for example, we talked about this. He said, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. So, with all of these good factors going for it, we can't ignore the fact that salt has a way of irritating. If you don't believe it, just put a little salt in a little cut somewhere and it'll set you on fire. It irritates. Now, it has healing power. But we're not thinking about the healing power of salt. We're thinking about the pain. And when we think about the world, mark it down, there will be those that although they want what you've got in those characteristics that makes your life such a great joy and a blessing to others, even though they want that, they might despise you. In fact, some of them will. There's no doubt about it. You'll be hated and despised as a result of the life that you live. And we can just expect And That's what He's telling them. Look, this is what I expect out of you, but you need to expect that you're not going to win all of the rewards for being the most popular person on campus. You're not going to be the one that wins the prize for the most likely to succeed. You're not going to be voted Man of the Year. You're going to be hated and despised. And then he tells them that if the salt loses its savor, it's good for nothing to be cast out and trodden underfoot. And we could spend an hour talking about all the details of this, and we don't have time for that. But whenever the salt loses its savor, the salt in those days was basically, you know, from the, they brought up from the Dead Sea, and the fact of the matter is, the salt could become contaminated to the point that it lost its savor. It was good for nothing but to be cast out, trodden under, like, pave a road with it, put it out of the pathway. It will kill the weeds and make a good place to walk. It, just something for people to walk on. Isn't it a shame to think about God's people having such an important position in this world And yet, allowing themselves to be so contaminated by sin that they become good for nothing. It shouldn't be. You're the salt of the earth. And then notice he says you're the light of the world. Light does at least three things, but number one, it dispels darkness. Darkness, but then it draws attention. I can remember many, many nights spent on Table Rock Lake up in Missouri and... Be out there fishing at night. In fact, we did nearly all of our fishing at night back then, and uh, we learned real quick like that the best way to navigate because we didn't have GPS in those days. And you got a, you know, you got a flat bottom John boat out there with a ten horsepower motor in a big old lake like that, and and you you got to be careful. But we could we we could pick out some lights on some docks or a light up on the hill, and we could navigate off of that. You know, and pay attention. Boy, it was, I'm telling you, a relief when you come up out of one of those coves and, and it's pitch dark out there and you don't know where you're going and you look over and you see that light. Then you see the other light or maybe the third light and you can get those lined up and you can make a beeline for it. Light has a way of not only dispelling the darkness but directing us in the darkness. Yeah. I, I, I can't help but wonder where... Where would folks be if they fight of this world, and you ought to be able to provide direction for those that are in the world by just observing your ways and seeing you follow the Lord it ought to draw them to you getting attention but then it ought to you ought to be they ought to be directed by you and no notice what he did not say. Get up and preach you know that. The Bible's telling us we ought to be a light to the world. He didn't say that. He said we are. We are. There's no doubt about it. If you're a child of God, you are a light. Now, now, you can hinder the shining, but you are a light. And notice he doesn't say, let your light shine. That's not what it says. Maybe you're thinking, well, if I've been reading my Bible wrong all of this time, no, you haven't been paying attention. That's all. He does say let your light shine. He says let your light so shine. That little word so means the world. It speaks volumes. It, whenever he says let your light so shine, he's talking here about the manner in which your light shines. The manner in which your light shines is so that others might see. Notice... And glorify your Father, which is in heaven, let your light so shine you don't try to make your light shine. I've seen some of that and and it's not something I care to see again you ever seen whether it's a preacher or somebody else you know and they're trying to make their light shine and well some of the some of these entertainers. Sometimes in Nashville, sometimes in Hollywood, they're all over the place, you know. They make their living in the clubs and things of that nature, but they've all got their, you know, they've all got their uh, spiritual songs. It's kind of like buying an album by Willie Nelson. <laughs> oh, you've got one, huh? Well, I'm going to be honest, I, I've got some tapes by George Jones. So, uh, But listen to the point I'm trying to make. You watch some of those people get up and you can tell from the get-go that it's all about them trying to, uh, to, to, to glorify themselves. It's not about the Lord, it's all about putting on a show. God help us to keep that kind of stuff out of church for sure. Amen. Let your light so shine that they'll see your good works. Now what if you don't have any good works they're not going to see them, right? That they'll see your good works and 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 commend you for a job well done, congratulate you for you know being so good. No, no. He said that they'll see your good works and glorify your Father, which is. And in in both instances, notice the Lord makes a reference to the fact that the salt can lose its savor, then it's good for nothing. The light can be hid under a bushel, and then nobody can see it. What? Well, there's a message in that. The light can be hid so that the effect of it is lost. And the whole point of that is sometimes we fail to live up to what we profess. And instead of being blameless, we're just blended in to the point that others can't see any difference whatsoever. Robert Speer wrote many years ago, he said, after 30 years of leadership and missionary work, it's my conviction and conclusion that the greatest missionary problem is the failure of Christian people to live up to their profession." I think he's exactly right. Another one said, the chief obstacle to the spread of Christianity is not Hinduism nor Buddhism, but the rotten behavior of people who call themselves Christians. You see, too many times we lose our savor and we lose our shine. The salt is contaminated and the light is hidden and our influence is nil and void. But notice the sensational opportunity. Look at verse 16 again. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let me ask you a question. Would you like to do something great with your life? I mean, really great. I'm not talking about something petty like, you know, becoming a millionaire. I'm not talking about getting into the Hall of Fame. I'm not talking about being a part of who's who. I'm talking about doing something really great with your life. Well, that's what this is all about. And that's why I say this is a sensational opportunity because the Lord's looking at these common, ordinary, uneducated men, mostly fishermen. He's looking at them saying, Look, you are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. And their purpose, as is ours, is what to glorify God. That's the reason. That's a reason for which we exist. I'm so glad that uh, I don't know if I can find it or not. The bulletin for today uh, was just, I, I about fell open Philippians two. Hey, at there. You know the, the Lord works on both ends sometimes. You know I prepared the message and. And Bea prepares the bulletin and sometimes he puts it on her heart. Uh, Paul said, Do all things without murmurings and disputings that ye may be blameless and harmless, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain." Now, the last part of that explains exactly what I'm talking about when I say this is a sensational opportunity, the opportunity to glorify God. The world is decaying and the world is dark and the world needs you. I understand you can't save the whole world, but you can make a difference in your little part of the world back before the election we was talking a lot about people talking a lot about saving America. That's not our job. Our job is not to save America but to help save Americans or whoever to go into all of the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. And it might be that you think your influence is not all that important, but let me tell you it is. When Stanley went into Africa there looking for David Livingston. He went there as as a reporter basically. He wasn't going there to to be spiritually transformed or anything. He just wanted a story. He found David Livingston, he followed him around. I don't have time to read the entire testimony. But he said, little by little, seeing his piety, his gentleness, his zeal, his earnestness, and how he went quietly about his business, I was converted by him, although he had not tried in any way to do it. Isn't that amazing? Just following that man around and observing his ways, and his influence was so great that it caused Stanley to stop and to think about his spiritual condition and to consider the message and ultimately became a child of God. That door, And when you do, remember, you're going to enter the mission field. Wherever you go, tomorrow when you get up, whether you go to school, whether you go to the, to the job, wherever you go, you're going there as salt and light. God wants to use your influence to reach those that are in a state of spiritual decay and spiritual darkness. And God wants to do something great in your life and He's given you that opportunity. I hope that you'll take advantage of it. Don't waste away the opportunity God has given you. Every Christian here can no doubt think back to someone in their life that was influential, someone that it might be they're not the one that took the Bible and led you to a saving knowledge of Christ, but it was because of their shining example, because of their godly spirit. Something about them made you realize, I need what they've got. Amen. And you can think of somebody need to be that kind of person to with that Bible, the only Bible that they might ever read. What a wonderful opportunity that we have as the children of God to do something really great with our lives. Amen? Amen. Let's do it. Stand with us, please. Father, we thank You for Your loving kindness. We thank You, Lord, for what You've done for us. And we realize that that what you've done for us, you want to do for each and every person. Amen. And I just pray that with others, I just pray you'll help us to, to be the kind of Christian, to have the kind of attitude that would make our influence powerful in their lives, that would awaken them to their needs and draw them to the Lord Jesus Christ. There might be someone today that the The shining of their light has been dimmed by their sinfulness and they need to repent of some sin. There might be someone here today as a result of being contaminated by sin, they've lost the ability to provide savor and to make the workplace or the home a better place. And Lord, may we repent of our sins today that we might be of use in Your kingdom. And Heavenly Father, for those that are unsaved, we just pray today that they might become aware of their spiritual needs and trust Christ as their Lord and Savior. For we ask it all in His precious name. Amen. While we sing today, Home to Jesus.